BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron. Hello, everyone. Today, If you follow my Instagram stories, you know this, but we are re-recording an episode with my dear friend, Justin Kamein. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thank you you for coming twice. (laughs) Um, We recorded what I thought was an amazing episode. I went to edit it. It was there, and then it was gone, and Apple, you know, I have my qualms with you already, but now it's just suffice to say we're not friends. Anyway... We waited some time so that it wasn't going to be the exact same conversation, and here we are re-recording. So Justin is one of my closest friends from college. I was fortunate enough to experience two years with you, right, two, at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania, and I would say he is probably my friend with the most impressive resume. So he is a TEDx talker, a Forbes 30 Under 30 member, co-founder of KDC Ag, and I believe was at one point an advisor to Pope Francis on sustainability. That's like my go-to for you. (laughs) I'm just so amazed. At one point. At one point. All right. So we are going to get into a ton of stuff, most specifically food waste, um, and discuss how you are truly trying to change the world in that aspect. And I really do believe that you're someone that will do that. But let's start off with a little backstory on you. So how would you define success? Ooh, the tough question. Um, I guess I'll tell you the story yes, that you I have like to, to tell um, about how I define success. Um, so it was about six months ago that I was down in the Bahamas actually giving a, a presentation. Um, and it was a bunch of actually NFL and NBA guys. No big deal. You fit right in. It fit right in. <laughs> Going out with them was pretty fun. Um, sure. <laughs> they got me pretty drunk. Um, <laughs> And so we were on, it was just up there speaking about sustainability, about kind of the future of where I see the world and the opportunities that they truly have a platform that's quite substantial that they can help kind of move society into a better, mm-hmm. healthier space that obviously those types of athletes care about. Um, so after about 20 minutes, open it up for questions. And uh, this guy in the back of the room stands up, had no idea who he was, but um, he grabbed the mic and with a thick bohemian accent goes, I have one question for you, son. And he goes, I really like your bohemian accent. Is it, is it good? <laughs> it gets better. He goes, what is your dash? And I was like, what? He goes, what is your dash? Um, and starts walking up the aisle to mm-hmm. me. And uh, 
keeps asking everyone in the room, what is your dash? What is your dash? Everyone is defined by your dash. Justin, what is your dash? And I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. Depreciated asset. No idea. <laughs> um, and Trying to think of like any type of word possible that any, he could be thinking about just to answer. And the guys in the front row were giving me the same kind of eyes. Like, I have no idea what he's mm-hmm. talking about. I thought he was still drunk from the night before. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so he gets up and puts his arm around me. And uh, he goes, son, what, what's your dash? And I'm like, sir, with all due respect, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, think about it. When you die, you have the name that you're given. You have the day that you were born, dash, the day that you're dead. Mm-hmm. Your gravestone never has how, many, how much money you made, what you did in kind of success for business. It was yeah. your dash is truly your legacy. Your dash is truly how people remember you from and by. And what did you do to help society? So I kind of live every day with my dash. I love that. So what is your dash? What is my dash is to uh, positively impact uh, not tens, but hopefully hundreds of millions of people to become more sustainable in a closed-loop, waste-free system um, that generates and promotes uh, healthy living and harmony with the environment and with yourself. And I know a lot of people say, like, oh, I'm going to help people, and, you know, I want to help the masses, and it's amazing, and I have so much respect for people that really set that out as their mission but I truly believe that you're someone that not only wants to do that but you're implementing ways in actually making that possible and you know you you think your friends are going to change the world but I truly and wholeheartedly (laughs) believe that you will one day change this world hopefully soon yeah so let's get into how you're doing that yeah so uh and very fortunate from came slash come from a family that uh my dad's a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, he literally started off, started off as essentially a, installing boiler rooms. Yeah. Um, flash forward, um, he's developed and we've developed as a family about $4 billion worth of infrastructure. Amazing. Um, so we really take a large-scale approach. Um, he pioneered the energy space, uh, the telecom space, if you remember that. Dan, mm-hmm. to, Dan, Dan, to log on to the internet. <laughs> um, about a third of that was coming through our infrastructure, then to AOL and MSN. Uh, so when, when my brother and I graduated college, we inherited this, inherited this platform. He was 55 at the time. Um, and we said, how do we really focus this infrastructure entrepreneur development approach onto the biggest problems of, in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that infrastructure can move society quickly and efficiently, so long as it's done economically and with the environment. Um, you as a consumer don't care where your electricity comes from. At least you didn't until now. No. But but now all of a sudden, if we can really promote that and build those types of projects, that becomes that much more substantial. So we uh, developed uh, close to about $400 million worth of solar projects. And then uh, we were getting bored and started to really look at some of the bigger problems in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, once solar kind of got big, everyone can do it. So we like to be entrepreneur and try to go off and do and look at crazy ideas and try to then scale them to the infrastructure world and i would say the way you're doing this because i do think you know people have that mentality but most times those people are seeking money um you know they think okay this has been accomplished by xyz people and now everyone can do it i'm gonna find the next big thing next big thing to make money but i truly obviously Everyone wants to make money, but I truly believe you're finding the next best thing to help people. 
Yeah, well, agreed. But it's also my whole theory is that in order to have the greatest impact in the world, you also mm-hmm. have, need to have the greatest economics in the yeah. world. So therefore, if you can make it an economic decision, mm-hmm. then everyone inherently wants to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so when we, when we set out for the whole food waste thing, we started looking at saying, okay, 40% of all the food that gets grown is thrown away. And if food waste was a country, it'd be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter. That's insane. Insane. Um, and so when you look at then your human body, you, you're all about the mm-hmm. food. Um, <laughs> I'm all about, all the, about food. the food. That's <laughs> okay. like a new yes, like, little that's song. My new song. Yeah, Megan Trainer, all about the base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Remix. it. I love that you know who sings that song. Um, you should hear my playlist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so with those types of stats, you're talking about companies like Walmart that throw away uh, 800,000 tons per year. $100 million dollars just goes down the drain just because they're so inefficient. And actually, Walmart's the most efficient of all the supermarkets in the U.S. I wouldn't um, even – am I stupid to not qualify Walmart as a, as a supermarket? They're the largest supermarket. Really? It's insane what they do. Yeah. Think wow. about all those super centers, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Middle, okay. middle America. No, I know. I just would, I think of like, I don't think of Target as a supermarket. Whole, I think of Walmart yeah. as like kind of a Target. Whole Foods only has 350 stores. Walmart has 4,500 stores. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that. I just forget <laughs> yeah. that it's in that category of a supermarket. Yeah, yeah. Mainly because in New York, is there even a Walmart there's in, no There's no Walmarts in New York. In Manhattan, yeah. yeah. Fun fact of the day. I was going to say, yeah. I would never think, I have to get my groceries, I'm going to go to Walmart. Yeah. But I get in other places of the country, it's yeah. a main supermarket. Well, New York's a little bit of a, a little different. microcosm, too. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, we can talk about my dating life on that. From <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that this is actually your interview tape for The Bachelorette. Yes. Yeah. So any single people listening, feel free to send in a DM to myself or Justin in the show notes. This is my way of pimping you out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so back to food waste. Always need a good wedding date. Um, yeah, so back to food waste, uh, let's transition in my mind. Um, yeah, so when we started looking at this entire problem, we said, okay, well, how can infrastructure really solve this? And how can we really create a process that actually upcycles all that food Mm -hmm. instead of letting that food go to food waste or put, be put in landfills? Um, how do we really do something more substantial and composting is great, but it actually, if you think about composting, you're just letting those nutrients degrade over time. And that's what really compost is. So we said, well, look look around and look at your human body. You're arguably the most efficient user of food. You Mm -hmm. grind it up and you digest it within three hours. Mm -hmm. Well, why can't I just create a technology that I could scale to an infrastructure level that mimics that three hour process? So that's what we set out to do about six years ago. Um, We've now successfully fully commercialized that technology and are now scaling nationwide where we take up to 160 tons of food every single day. We donate as much as we can to the local food banks because that's the maximum usage of food. Mm -hmm. But then once back at our facilities, we grind it up like your teeth. We use food-grade enzymes like your stomach. Within three hours, we've digested all that down to the molecular level. And then that liquid um, is actually used to grow crops. So all your Driscoll, Bolthouse, Grimway, Taylor Farms, they're all using our fertilizer to increase crop yields, eliminate any chemicals that they need, um, and increase soil health, which which soil health is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And then we're now, uh, we've now patented a way to actually dry that material. Okay. Um, and you can actually feed our animals the same food that you and I were eating this morning uh, in, in a pelletizable form tomorrow. So we can create a completely closed loop system 
uh, and what that system will actually do is create the world's first 100% carbon neutral animal feed and production system, actually giving our animals meats, fruits, and vegetables, which is quite frankly what they, they should be eating, should be eating um, outside of this bullshit corn and soy, which is destroying the environment. Yeah, it's like gluten-free fed chicken. Well, okay, fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, we so thought- you're, you're still feeding it <laughs> shit. I don't care if it's gluten-free. It's still shit. Yep. The biggest myth in this damn industry, and I've sat with all the CEOs of Tyson and Purdue, is a vegetarian fed That's chicken. What I, yeah, vegetarian. Vegetarian. Vegetarian is just a nice marketing term. It could, for, it could actually be garbage. Well, it's just corn and soy. Yeah. And Which the, your chicken nuggets are grown on corn and soy. And yeah. then they just said, oh, let's market it and change it. And it's the same damn corn and soy diet that mm-hmm. they're feeding it. They're just now charging you an extra buck. And this is one of my main issues with the labels and the advertising in the wellness food space, whatever you want to call it. Because I've said this to – I've had this conversation with my parents, so I'm not, like, totally putting them on blast. But if you put – Hi, Judd. <laughs> That's my dad. If you put gluten-free on something, all of a sudden people think it's healthy. Yeah. Or if you put like dairy, whatever you might call it. If something is notoriously and inherently gluten-free, just because it says gluten-free does not make it healthy. It's like, I'm trying to think of an example. But he'll... Vodka. Well, okay, yes. Tito's like made a freaking... But I'm thinking more of something that's not obviously... Okay, fine. Vodka is... I think vodka's healthy. But I mean, like, I'll come home. My dad will say, oh, my gosh, I got you these um, crackers because they're gluten-free, so they're healthy. <laughs> and then you look at the ingredients, and it's just A sh- bunch of bullshit. It's yeah. a bunch of shit. Yeah. Well, everyone does it. I mean, look at, like, the pet food industry. I've been to those production facilities. I'm sorry. They're not putting a T-bone steak on the in, mm-hmm. in your fucking pet feed. It's yeah. It's just a bunch of bullshit, and then they just target and market how they want to. So I, I think that, I mean, what we're building is a, what we always say is a generational platform. So mm-hmm. like my brother, my dad, and I co-found this together with a bunch of worldwide um, kind of very well-established United States Secretary of Agriculture, board members of Nestle, the Buffets, because we are just fed up with the way society currently operates. Yeah. And we want to kind of put our middle fingers up to that and actually provide truth and transparency I love that. to all the consumers and to do so in an environmental way that actually puts people and profit and environment all at the same level playing field. Um, But to do so in a way, in a size and a scale that we can actually go and work with Walmart and Tyson Mm -hmm. so that we can actually feed tens and hundreds of millions of people of this and make it affordable to everyone. um, That's how you truly change society. And that's how you have to do so at a scale that makes sense. It's amazing. And I have two follow-up questions when you were explaining the infrastructure that you've built. Where are you getting the 160 tons of food? Like, where is that physically being picked up from? Restaurants, grocery stores? Yeah, so we work with grocery stores. Uh, It's high volume, high value food. So if you think about what's also screwed up about society is that you walk into any supermarket at any time throughout the year, no matter if you're in New Mexico, New Jersey, Arkansas, Mm. you can get every single product. That's just what we've become accustomed to. and that's obviously not the way the environment or nature intended it no. to be. And it's obvious when you go to a farmer's market and they don't have any of that exactly. stuff. Exactly. Um, yet every supermarket has that. So they throw away about 500 to 1,000 pounds of food every single day. We actually uh, give them um, essentially like big Yeti coolers. Um, okay. And so we actually maintain the cold chain. Um, and so we actually keep all that food fresh. And wow. then we pick it up that same day and process it that same day. So... 
we actually, you and I can actually go to my production facility and make a salad and have a barbecue. And then on the end product that we create, our, mm -hmm. our pelletizable product, it's actually human quality. Yeah. So we can actually eventually create this into a protein bar and, up, and, and upcycle it to human consumptions or like meal ready kits for the, um, mm -hmm. the military or third world. It's like, I mean, this is just pre-digested food just and we're dehydrating beginning. it. Um, so this is, yeah, truly just the beginning. And are you picking up this food from the grocery stores in Manhattan? I just because I'm curious, or is it? Yeah, so right now we're operating area? in California, um, okay. and then we're building um, like a 60-ish million dollar facility in Pennsylvania. Okay. And then probably two or three more in Pennsylvania. So the hopes is that by the end of 2021, we'll actually be picking up 100% of the food waste uh, or a large portion of the food waste from supermarkets from Cleveland down to D.C. and up to Boston. Awesome. And, then, and then just transition kind of around the country. And with the feed that you're giving these animals, and you were saying that then it's a whole cycle of carbon neutral, right? Yep. Of the feed. Um, do you think that's a new label that we're going to be looking for in the butcher industry, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, ev everyone's looking. I mean, look, look at all like the plant based proteins and impossible burgers yeah. and all that stuff. I mm -hmm. mean, the animal world is completely degrading the environment mm -hmm. um i mean we're destroying 200,000 acres of amazon rainforest every single day just to grow more corn and soy to feed our animals yeah and yet it's not a great conversion of corn and soy into a pound of beef mm -hmm. um, and also so, we shouldn't really be eating beef that's fed off of corn and soy uh, agreed <laughs> um so there's a lot of problems um yeah so it's like and i'm a believer in absolutely all of that we need all mm -hmm. these types of solutions but when you look at like just the macro numbers, the U.S. alone produced and slaughtered nine billion chickens last year. Jesus. Tyson does thirty-five million chickens per week, four hundred twenty-five thousand pigs, and one hundred twenty-five thousand cows per week in slaughtering. It's insane. That's really it's frightening. Really frightening. Um, so as much as Impossible Burger and all those guys are getting to scale, yeah. um, it's just still a small, small, small fraction. Um, so this whole terminology of carbon neutral mm -hmm. um we can actually now economically incentivize consumers to act in a carbon neutral way mm -hmm. um and we can actually redefine and, and it will be a label unlike or it will be slightly higher than conventional in mm -hmm. pricing yet well below organic um so we can actually truly provide them the best healthiest most sustainably grown animal in a mm -hmm. carbon neutral way that you can walk into chick-fil-a and say i want a carbon neutral burger That'll be a chicken. day. That will be a day. That will be a fun day because I will be very happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, back in our college days with our Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Um, I heard the best business plan about Chick-fil-A. And I'm not going to do it so anyone that's listening to this can do this. Well, then I'm going to tell my story because I wonder if you even know what I'm going to say. Uh-oh. Maybe, maybe you told me the business plan. I wonder if we're going to say the same thing. Are you talking about what the soccer boys did in college? No. Oh, okay. Give me yours and then I'll give you mine. Well, maybe it's the same. Um, someone get a food truck. Go up, go around at eleven o'clock and buy on Saturday. Buy up all the Chick Fil A I told sandwiches. You this. Okay. You know, okay. So <laughs> Chick Fil A is closed on Sundays, as we all well most people know. In college, it was after you had graduated, so you're kind of take. You're, it's a great idea, but it's actually from the soccer boys my age. When we were in college. Everyone wanted Chick-fil-A, obviously, any time of the day, but specifically late night food or when you're hungover on Sunday. But for us, it was like a 15-minute drive, so no one was getting it, late night food. And the soccer boys would have 
the freshmen and sophomores like fill up their backpacks with just like the classic Chick-fil-A sandwich wrapped whatever in their backpack and then at the end of the night they would go around and sell them for five dollars and I thought it was the smartest thing in the world and I would buy as many as I possibly (laughs) could and devour them in the soccer kitchen Uh so so that so yes we can do this together then but we'll have to give the future a little like credit (laughs) um so also we didn't do a full dive into how we know each other and I kind of also want that to lead into how you got to where you are so Justin and I uh I went to college and I just feel like this topic and this whole story has to be told I um don't know how to explain the legacies at Lafayette if you went there you understand it's a big legacy school Justin comes from a big legacy at Lafayette I come from a big family that has been there I think I was the eighth of ten well technically seven and eight because Kelly and I were together but I think we have ten family members that have been there and so our parents actually went together Yeah, yeah. yeah they went together knew each other whatever I met you on my official visit at a party I think And then that was that. And then my grandfather is just really a a legend is the only way to explain his amazing soul for the Lafayette soccer team. And when I then met you again when they named the stadium after him, it was a week after my official visit. We show up. We're all in these like Team Oaksy jerseys. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, oh, whatever. I had committed at that point for lacrosse, so I knew I was going there. And then we meet the whole soccer team. I'm so embarrassed because I had met you all a week prior my official at a party. And now I'm this like girl with her entire family in these monogrammed jerseys. Can we put an asterisk in front of the party? (laughs) We were just chugging Malibu. No, that's when I got there. Oh, that's that night. Okay, I got you. So then my first night of college, it was my 18th birthday, and it was orientation, and the girls in the lacrosse team told us that there was a soccer party. If we wanted to go, we should all go. I'm kind of thinking... A, I have no idea what college is about to be like, but do I just show up to this party not really knowing anyone? So we did. I bring my cousin Kelly with me. We walk into the party and Justin's like, hey, Cammy, like you're Dr. Oaks's granddaughters, right? And we were like, oh, yeah. And then you basically handed us a bottle of Malibu and we started chugging. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that my grandfather would make me feel cool, but he really did. Yeah. Like he got us into a party. A it's the weirdest silver lining. It, it really yeah. is. I'm like, I never thought my grandfather would be the reason I got into my first <laughs> yeah. college party. And then from there, we were best friends. Um, so that was how we began our friendship. Yep. Time has definitely changed things because yeah. I now... I don't think I've had Malibu since. Oh my God, I can't drink it. It makes me really not feel okay. Yeah. I can't even smell it, quite honestly. Yeah. It was, I'm on a big tequila kick. I, well, I'm always on tequila gig. Yeah. It's my go-to. Yeah. But Malibu was like my thing in high school and <laughs> yeah. freshman year of college. And now I can't even smell the scent of it. Um, but I want to talk about how you got from, not that you were like a little party soccer boy. but I was. How, <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did you get into all this? Because you, what, you made up your major, right? I learned that when yeah. we first recorded this, uh-huh. which I didn't even know existed. So what major did you make up? Uh, it was an environmental business and public policy. And then uh, I ended up getting my dream job, which was completely stupid of me. I graduated Saturday, stayed up all Saturday night into Sunday, and then drove up to Stanford, Connecticut to go work at GE on Monday morning. I cannot believe you did that. In my nice Joseph A. Bank suits. <laughs> um if any guys out there is listening to this, you know when, when you wear Joseph A. Bank oh, suits, it's it's bad. 
Um, yeah, and lasted about two months there. So they put me on a debt portfolio for coal power plants and uh, quickly found out that that was not my calling. And how long were you there for? Two months. And then where did you go from two uh, months in? So then I went to, uh, so it was actually super interesting. If anyone actually works with their parents or their family members um, that are older, um, I never thought I did, and I always wanted to kind of go off and mm-hmm. do what I wanted to do. Because um, at this point, your older brother was already working with your dad? Yeah. Okay. And um, I always wanted to kind of be independent. I'm kind of a, a free-flowing kind of dude. And uh, so my dad sat me down, and he was like, he drew me a graph, and he put like A to Z over like a 10 to 15-year-long kind of time frame. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, kind of draws this kind of like nice little kind of curved dra- graph going from A to Z and he goes, okay, this is kind of your corporate life or mm-hmm. if you're out there trying to kind of figure this all out by yourself. What a hal exercise. What a hal exercise. <laughs> That's my dad. And uh, then he kind of puts a very condensed kind of little line mm-hmm. that from A to Z, that's about three years. And he goes, okay, I can take you from, I can do what you would have taken you 15 years yeah. and give you the experiences and the knowledge and the expertise in that same time frame if you come work for me. Um, so I sat outside of his office as pretty much his glorified secretary, but essentially <laughs> overhearing and being a part of every conversation. He uh, shipped me off to Jamaica by myself where I had to go negotiate with the government and Alcoa, which is a large aluminum company, and mm-hmm. try to figure out projects for myself with all the engineers. And uh, flash, flash forward um, now eight years or so and built up a interesting little I was going to say I kind of think he was right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it was interesting and I actually went out from a networking perspective I I, I knew what I do really well and actually mm-hmm. we were just talking about this yesterday with my brother and uh he's very analytical and like kind of works on all the engineering yeah and uh I'm kind of the more business sales dynamic know everyone and kind of can put together a bunch of people into a room you're a great people person and uh I kind of assess that as like my number one skill. And so uh, I, now you're getting into my next question of what's your favorite characteristic about yourself? Okay, we'll ask that. Okay, so <laughs> stop for a second. Justin, what's your favorite characteristic Good about question. Yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, so it's like, if I was to self-audit myself, and actually mm-hmm. Gary Vee always, always talks about that, if you like him. I love Gary Vee. Yeah, he's a little much. He uh, is, but he curses like me, and I really enjoy that. Same. Should we just both say fuck at the same oh, time? Oh, shit, I forgot. What? See, the way that I, you wanted me to open my podcast in general, I talked to you before, and I was going to open it, and I totally forgot. I told you I wanted to create a podcast, and it was during that breakfast we had a butcher's yep. daughter, and you said, you should just open it saying, what the fuck is up? <laughs> and so I was going to open it that way today for you, and ah. I forgot. But anyway, should Gary we record B. this for the third time? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Don't jinx it, please. Yeah, no. But I do love Gary Vee because he curses like a sailor. Yeah. But I also think that his content is yeah. is awesome. But it is Agreed. a lot. Uh, agreed and and i i look at cursing as a, an adjective and an emotion i don't I look agree. at it as it like i mean i start off all of my other like kind of panels is like guys we're all fucked and yeah. if we all don't like come together and like look at the actual problems and like stop just worrying about little okay what's your yield this year mm-hmm. it's like no let's talk about big issues and let's bring together real solutions yeah um so my biggest strength i think is um as a people person, as a person that understands, and I hate that terminology, like people person. No, um, but and I, I you think, are. Yeah. Um, but I 
truly try to figure out ways to peel back a person's onion mm -hmm. much quicker than I think most and engage with them in a different way. Um, I know what I want to get out of them eventually or yeah. build a relationship, build a friendship and figure out opportunities to work together. Um, but it's in a different way than I think a lot of people approach it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also about I am so open and raw and kind of uh, very um, understanding and, and, and quite frankly, like I said, raw with my emotions mm -hmm. as to that certain situation. So like if you are having a bad day, it's like and you're at a networking event, someone comes up to you and say, hey, how was your day? And you're like, well, it's kind of shitty because of this X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like they just be kind of come a little bit of a different atmosphere than if you're like, well, I work at Goldman Sachs and nice oh, to meet gosh. you. And so it's like, just be a real person. And it sounds so like, mm -hmm. of course, I'm going to be that. But I think so many people are disingenuous with how they truly feel at that exact moment. Totally agree. And I think we've talked about this in the sense of my mission on Instagram and on here and whatever is to not only make healthy living approachable, but to honestly give a real look into a lifestyle and be as emotionally raw and honest and approachable as I possibly can be because I do think that this market is very oversaturated with mm -hmm. this is my perfect day and this is my perfect apartment yeah. and this is blah 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 and then trying to make it seem like they're vulnerable about a small topic but even that is because they want to be perfect at being vulnerable yep. and it's kind of like when you cried when you uh forgot to record in the last interview well I recorded it was lost <laughs> Justin and I sat here hysterically crying and then I felt weird that I posted it because I got so many people being like I'm so sorry and I was like no I wasn't looking like listen I'm not yeah. looking for people to feel bad about it I'm just saying that I think people think Instagram glorifies our life agreed and it's a highlight reel and I think people watch and think oh she has this podcast and she gets to do this and I I'm yeah. not saying life, life sucks, but most life of the time. can suck yeah. a lot. Yeah. And it's the fact that this, even the, just this project takes so much work. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it for free right now because I freaking love it. It's my baby, but you know, shit happens and I am an emotional person. Some days I more than others. I agree. Um, I like it. it. It was interesting. This weekend, we, uh, I saw on Instagram, but whatever. Uh, this weekend, we were with a bunch of friends at like the Yankee game, and we all mm -hmm. came home. And I saw you after. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. Um, and my buddies live like right on the first floor of like a kind of a walk up, and we were all just kind of hanging out and like drinking after a day yeah. and like playing some music, and they had a couple kids kind of running around. And, uh, the people kept walking on the street. So me being me, I'm like, I whip off my belt. And, I saw this. And, and we literally created a limbo line. Yeah. And it was just from people, we were on, right on Waverly, so yeah. like a pretty crowded street. And I kid you not, we had people, hundreds of people come for about an hour and a half. We had women in wheelchairs. We had older people saying, I haven't done limbo in 30 years. And, oh like, God, and then we it. had kids actually walk around the block multiple times to come back to this. Oh. And we were like, guys, like, you can just keep going back and forth. Like, you don't <laughs> but it was like such like that like New York City moment where it was like just raw emotion and just mm -hmm. like that human appreciation for life and like the little things in life. It was like it was literally people were having the time of their lives and thinking back to different. We had some woman come up to us and talk to her about 
1970 dinner or uh, dancing night that she had. That's, that's that's the last time she played limbo. She's like, I haven't thought about that for yeah. 50 years. And my little belt just across the freaking sidewalk mm-hmm. was doing that. And it's like, it's just like those little things that, yeah, when life sucks, it's like then you get those types of kind of moments where it's... It's human connection. Human connection in a very raw way and just Not super simple. That I think was pretty cool. Yeah, and I do think we lack that, especially in Manhattan, human connection yep. that's not through some type of physical device. Yep. I think that we're all kind of pigeonholed in our own lives that we forget to look up and have conversation with people that we yep. don't know already. And it's definitely something I'm working on because it's hard finding that in-between of trying to document things to reach an audience, but also trying to live in the moment. You should part, start playing Limba. <laughs> well, limbo is kind of fun you know kate like anytime we're oh, out yeah. tries to limbo and yeah. one of our friends i am not that good at it i get i can't honestly now i'm too nervous i want to fall on my head oh that's true they're like little things that i just get yeah. so nervous like, about doing oh, that's true it's like i will never do that i will never ride a city bike i will never like i'll never ski which i'm fine with. i wasn't uh, a skier skiing, anyway it's kind of fun yeah but i didn't I never skied growing up, so why oh, now? Yeah. You know, I've been twice. I'm okay cutting that out of my life. That's if you true. told me, like, you can't go sit on a beach, you know, which is... Well, I'm <laughs> okay, just if you fall on your head on the beach no, and I'm you're saying, sitting there... I, yeah, I got you. That's, that's something that you to, like, love a, to do Yeah, exactly. If yeah, I yeah. love to ski, then yeah. it would be really hard to yeah. give up. But yeah. I... Whatever. Tangent. So anyway. no limbo. Gotcha. But it's so fun to watch. Okay, you can hold the limbo stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, I'll do that. Yeah. People do it at Parker House all the time. I know. It's going to be you. <laughs> all summer, Justin's going to live at Parker House and create a limbo. Um, okay, so with this aspect of... we, I think we got into this last time we recorded, but with the aspect of being as emotionally raw and open and honest as you possibly can, I do think, especially what you were saying at these networking events being a people person, you want to stand out in some way and you want to leave a conversation with someone thinking, oh, okay, that Justin, like I always forget people that are just saying, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Justin Kmine. I'm the co-founder of KDCX. I will forget that in 10 seconds Mm -hmm. when I leave these networking events. So how do you think you separate yourself from everyone to make these connections and to peel this onion? Uh, I smile a lot. You do smile a lot. Yeah. You've got like a Cheshire cat smile. I know. Uh, people would say I look like a little scrunched up dog. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I'll take it as a compliment. You take guess. it as a compliment. Yeah, I appreciate people that. People love dogs. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. Um, scratch behind my ears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I, I just, I can't really explain it. It's just a, it's just a way that, mm-hmm. a, a, I think people, um appreciate and uh want to try to be associated with some of the things that we're attempting i totally agree and and i i mean it's everything from lollyware which is taking seaweed and kelp and literally reverse engineer it to look and feel like plastic so we can Mm -hmm. eliminate plastic straws to kdc ag to then just i mean my whole model is i model and motto is i just want to do good with good people Mm -hmm. and we can all make money we can all do a lot of things together and um it took me a long time probably three or four years to actually figure that out and actually to find the right one or two people that I could actually look at. And I believe fully that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most. I totally agree with that. And I had to figure out who outside of my family circle I could figure 
finds and kind of grab their coattails and have them mm-hmm. kind of bring me up. Um, so I look at networking events as like, I don't need to go freaking talk to 300 people because you're right. You, you don't get that intimate connection. Mm-hmm. But if I could talk to three people and come away with a one really damn good relationship that turns into a real friendship, that then that friendship is based upon love and trust and, and respect. Um, then, and that person is someone that I inspire to be and mm-hmm. has the capability to kind of put their arms around me and take me to a higher place. That's networking. Networking isn't how totally big your agree. Rolodex is. It's how um, impactful and how uh, efficient your your mm-hmm. people are. Quality versus quantity. Yeah. And and so it's like, okay, I found the right three or four people that were in way, I was way above my head even talking to them. And they took me or took to me. And now I have some cool contacts. Brought you up. And you were saying that, you know, people want to hear what you're doing because people are very interested in this topic. And I do think right now, specifically, food waste, plastic waste, waste in general is a very hot topic. Mm -hmm. And I know you're friends with Abby. Um, I connected you guys a while ago. She's amazing. And on the episode with her, she was kind of saying that this isn't a fad. It's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree with that. And I guess my question is, since we're trying to make this as approachable of a topic as possible, and I feel it's the same with what I spoke with her about regarding plastic waste, people feel like there's so much to be done, but they don't know how to begin. Mm -hmm. And then once you don't know how to begin and you think about how much there is to do, you feel so helpless. And feeling helpless is really one of the worst emotions. And then it leads to doing nothing. So... I know you don't live a perfect, no one does, nope. um, a perfect no-waste lifestyle, but what do you think, and I can also give my suggestions, but we should recommend people as a starting point yeah. to minimize their food waste. Well, a- Abby's completely correct. I mean, it is a true epidemic, mm-hmm. and with any epidemic, there's the opportunity to a, create new systems, and I always yeah. kind of question the systems, and I always ask myself why. It's like, why does this system currently operate? Is it efficient or is it just completely screwed up and it's just been operating that same way? So it's like, how can you put the middle fingers up to the way it currently operates and create a better Mm -hmm. solution? Um, The stat that blew my mind is that if we continue and are even at the current population, if we continue to consume the same at the same rates that we are consuming, we need four and a half more earths just to produce enough resources for us. What? Four and a half more Earths. Well, okay, that's not going to happen. Happening. So we all need to become collectively better. And so I think it's it's super interesting that like, and this was actually what I was talking about with some of the, like kind of like the the um, athletes, which is like we have they have an enormous platform that can truly mm-hmm. spark change and education, totally. and everyone wants to become and be like become part of that. Um, I mean, look at like Adrian Grenier, right? Mm-hmm. He started the whole not sorry, but it was largely influenced the entire straw movement. And within 18 months, straws became public enemy number one. Uh And paper straws suck. Oh my God, they're the (laughs) worst. I hate paper. First of all, I don't like straws. And like, I never was a straw drinker in college when people would pregame with straws, just I think to get them drunker. Is that a myth? I don't know. Girls used to always do that when we would pregame. But I hate straws. Yeah. And I never understood why people were so affectionate about them. Yeah. So this whole movement, I'm totally fine by. Agreed. 
But he did definitely spark. And it was Absolutely. right after Entourage. It, he Absolutely. was hot then. So it's like if you think about that, in over 18, 24 months, all of a sudden, paper, or plastic straws are banned, 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 mm-hmm. banned. Everything's popping up. And it's just become now status quo. Mm-hmm. So that's what's like exciting and like invigorating about all this type Definitely. of stuff. It's like, and actually Nestle and Mars and Dan and just uh, actually through one of our contacts, um, Sam was working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they now just an- announced the carbon neutral pledge. Oh, really? And every college and university will be uh, ranked upon their sustainability and their carbon wow. neutrality. You know, Lafayette's doing a lot of stuff now with their farming. We do. My sister-in-law is very involved in it. She's oh. a freshman there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, so now we have a reason to go back. I know. Well, I go back all the time. Um, But, okay, so yes, people with a following and those types of celebrities obviously have an easy way. But what about your average normal human Uh, like us? I I think it is daunting and it is kind of tough to kind of think, okay, Mm -hmm. what is this truly impacting? If I don't order Seamless tonight, okay, I'm not going to – I'm going to hold off the plastic bag. But I think it's literally just the spread of small little education things. And I think – I take the kind of aspect of, can I do a little better every single day? Mm-hmm. I can't just completely change. I'm never going to consume a plastic fork because that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, so when I go to a restaurant or I go to, or I order something, it's like, okay, can I do a little better? Can mm-hmm. I tell them, okay, I don't need the plastic bag now, or mm-hmm. I don't need this. And it's like every day, if you kind of- ordering smarter. Yeah. And it's like, if you just do a little better every day, A, it's psychologically better because mm-hmm. it's not daunting. And it's like, okay, cool. I did that. And, and yeah, you can and point you feel to good that. About it. Yeah. And I would also say setting a challenge for each month of like this month, I'm not going to order takeout. Mm-hmm. You can do it for a month. I'm not saying you can do it for your whole life. Yeah. Or, Although I try not drinking for a month and it's literally impossible. <laughs> well, I'm kind of on this whole like soberish life. So wait, are you sober right now for a month? Or when was well, that? I am sober right now, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you didn't drink it's before this? 12 o'clock on a Friday. Uh, you never know. I feel like setting small challenges for mm-hmm. a specific amount of time not only helps you, okay, say you're eliminating something for a month, but then it makes you realize how often you do something yeah. that you don't necessarily need to do. Agreed. So say you eliminate seamless, I'm just using that as an example, but takeout for a month. Yeah. That next month, you're going to notice, A, how much better you felt. And you're probably going to question a little bit more than you typically would have had you not eliminated it for a month. Completely agree. And I and think... Se- and Seamless will not be sponsoring this anymore, this no, podcast. Seamless will never sponsor my <laughs> life because I lived in New York for three years before I put my first Seamless order in. That's wow. a fun fact. And I think I lasted three hours. <laughs> I think another thing is that quite honestly, we're all just lazy uh-huh. and that leads to a lot of this. Yeah. And if we would better structure and use our time more wisely in the sense of, okay, what do I have this week? What can I make going to a grocery store and purchasing the correct amount of food for what you actually need so you're not under-purchasing and then being left to seamless Mm -hmm. or caviar, Instacart, whatever. But you're also not over-purchasing and just buying aimlessly without thinking of the fact that you're not going to be able to eat all this food. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this during our first recording of the fact that we're all just lazy and I say I don't compost even though there's a compost bin in my basement of my building. That is straight up freaking lazy. So you'll see on my countertop, I just got this nice little silver trash can that has like a um, 
charcoal filter in it mm. and now I put all my scraps in there cool. so that I can keep it in there for the week and then bring it down to the compost there bin. There you go. So I was very proud of myself. Yep. I wanted to make sure I plugged that. Do a little better every uh, day. It's a little better and yep. I feel really good about myself um, because I was just being lazy because I didn't want to go down to the co- basement. Like, are you freaking kidding me, Cammie? I didn't want to go to the basement every day so yeah. this is my compromise. So I'm so happy that you shared so much knowledge with us because I do think this is, first of all, you're the first male on the podcast, which I'm pumped about. But also I think this is a very educational episode about a topic that people really care about. And I think I've learned a lot and I think a lot of listeners learned a lot. So thank you for that. But to close, most importantly, I need to ask you what the up to three ways to your heart through food are. Um. You asked this question last time, and I didn't yes, have a good I know, answer. because I do it every episode, and then, Justin. <laughs> um, you give me one, I think. And oh, yeah, peanut butter and honey. That's like, a, oh, it's the best combination of all time. I don't doubt it, but what shocked me was that you said you hadn't had it in so long, right? Yeah, well, I had it for like nine years. So my mom used to put two pieces of white bread with peanut butter and honey and put it in like a paper bag. Give me that and Gushers and like an apple. Oh my God, Gushers. Gushers were awesome. Gushers ruled. <laughs> yeah, they were awesome. And uh, that's what I ate for like 10 years of my life. So um, yeah, that's like my like way to my heart. If but you, why haven't you had it in so long if it's the way to your heart? That's what confuses me. Goes back to the dating, you know? I haven't had anything. Someone's got to Oh, you make, can't freaking make no, peanut butter no. and honey? Yeah, the first girl that makes peanut butter and honey. <laughs> You're fine. So now everyone knows how to date Justin. Okay, mine. Okay, you can make. That's honestly the easiest thing in the world. Or is it just the act of someone else making it that makes you love it? Well, it just brings me back to like my childhood. Okay, so and you I, like being taken care of. No. Mm-hmm. I'm putting on my therapist hat oh, now. God. Okay, we can get deep in this. What, else? <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are the therapy questions? No, no, no. We don't have to do that. Told you I'm open book. I know that. Oh, I, I will have it. I'll ask a therapy question. Okay. What's the biggest struggle you faced with this business? Um, a, being uh, and finding my own uh, legacy and my own uh self-value within Mm -hmm. a family business i think that's always tough i mean my brother and my dad and i co-found this together so um we are all one and that's also difficult because um we have obviously different personalities we all love each other Mm -hmm. all that type of stuff um but then there's also the family emotional reactions within a business that typically don't come up if it's just a coworker. you may say oh i hate your coworker," but you're never going to kind of lash out at them um in a family business, you almost feel more capable or, more, or oh, totally. it's easier to latch You say to, to your family that you would never say to other people. Exactly. Um, so we've done very good in, uh, in trying to like very be, or be very open and communicative as to our feelings. And, mm-hmm. well, you did this. Well, we should really do this. And let's talk all about this. Um, it's also been the biggest blessing to actually build something yeah. with the family um, that I think will hopefully really be proud of um and we'll all we will all have this together forever which is super cool um but i think that's also like one of the biggest kind of challenges too Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's been fun though and you said one of two what was the other one or did i make that up i swear you did did say that um it can just be one that's okay it'll be one yeah that's fair yeah that's a good one (laughs) That is difficult because doing anything with family can be 
hard. Well, uh, and I, I also think like just in general, be like building your own, everyone has this like amazing belief that, and rightfully so as to like what they want the future to be. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes people don't trust the process and like be like, okay, I can get from here to there, or maybe it's going to take 12 twists and turns. But I think we all get so caught up in, well, I got to be by 35 on the cover of this or doing this or I want to make a million bucks or I can't imagine life ever getting better from this point on. And Mm -hmm. it's like I actually find a lot of uh, courage and enthusiasm with actually Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, Mm -hmm. and like his whole seven bucks entertainment, which was literally how much money he had in his pocket at one time in his life. And now he's the highest grossing movie actor. Which is always so surprising when I hear that. Yeah. Because I just feel like, I, but he's in so many things. So many things. And like, I actually just tone it down to, and actually Mark Cuban just uh, tweeted this as well. It's like the biggest opportunity and the biggest ROI for anyone in business is to simply be nice. Totally and pay agree. It so that's that. I'm big on paying it forward. Yeah. Big. And being nice not too hard yeah but actually a lot harder than most people think it's very hard yeah and are there two other ways to your heart through food (laughs) (laughs) um it can just be the peanut butter and honey if you want to but you know i'm just wondering no i don't think so okay i'm not like a big foodie like i know i know i know like i'm not in in food i can't cook like, I mean, well, I can, clearly, because you want to make yourself a freaking peanut butter and honey sandwich. Well, I mean, I can make, like, eggs. I make mush. I just get sweet potatoes, avocados, and eggs and just throw it in a bowl and mush it I around. I was and so nervous it. you were going to say a blender. Oh. <laughs> um, no, that's actually one of my favorite combos. Yeah. It's and, like, Brussels sprouts good. and, like, what else do you need? Brussels and some, like, good sauces. I'm a big sauce guy. What type of sauce? Sriracha, chipotle mayo. Okay. Honey mustard. I love honey mustard. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on this. Yep. I love you. You're the best. Everyone, you can follow Justin at J underscore K mine on Instagram. It'll all be in the show notes, but I hope you enjoyed. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. If you could be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Currently, this one's available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please subscribe to make sure you're up to date with new episodes coming at you every Friday morning. If once a week isn't enough of me, please follow along on my most active social channel, Instagram. Find me, my unedited videos, recipes, random rants, and info for all my other social channels on there at Freckled Foodie.